Good morning again. <laughs> um, in my in my first sermon um, that I ever preached, uh, it was also in in Advent. It was four years ago, and at the time I was pregnant with my first with Adeline, and it was very meaningful uh, thinking of Mary also carrying Jesus and anticipating Jesus' birth. And now um, sharing my last sermon, also during Advent, is equally as meaningful. I think of this theme of walking in God's healing, um, I think it's very timely as well. I believe God is still moving in mysterious, miraculous ways within our congregation and community. And I don't say this to um, negate or belittle the physical and emotional struggles and pain that are happening. I know they are, are very real, but I do believe that God is moving. And I pray that we can meet God in a very real and holistic way today. And this morning's passage we're looking at um, in this third week of Advent is Matthew 11, uh, 2 through 11. When John was in prison, I'm sorry, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. One of my favorite um, Christmas carols is Mary Did You Know? And it was written by Mark Lowry. And in it we find part of the scripture um, passage for today. In, in 1984, Mark Lowry's pastor asked him to write uh, a musical for the Christmas season at their church in Nashville. And, and Lowry imagined what Mary might have been thinking while she was holding baby Jesus on the first Christmas. And he, he came up with a series of questions that he would like to ask her. And we're going to, to listen to this song, and I hope this, this version um, will resonate with you. It's probably not someone you have seen singing it before, so let's watch. Hey, fellas. Hey. I've been seeing on your Facebook you've been getting a lot of requests for Mary yeah. Did You Know. How about you come and do that song for me? Which song? Mary Did You Know. Oh, you got to be kidding. I don't know if I know that one. Do you? <laughs> We've actually never sang it. I know a lot of people's requested it, but, well, I don't know all the words to it. Do you? But we'll have to look, at our, look, look it up on our page here. All right, let's look it up. Do you uh, know how to Google that song? Mary Did You Know. 
Hey, Siri, Mary, did you know? I know that's a Mark Lowry song. Yeah, that's a good and one. And tons of people have sang that. It's so good. Come on, let's go out and drop. Let's put this Okay. Here. All right, I found it. I found it. So we'll give it a try. appreciated that coming from maybe who someone we might think as unlikely you don't necessarily expect 
Yeah, that's how God works sometimes. Mary, did you know, points out that Jesus Christ was just a baby, but had already walked where angels trod in heaven. The song describes in many ways that Jesus will fulfill his mission on earth, and and then ends, the song ends by asking Mary if she knows that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb. The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. So although he has walked where angels trod, Jesus moves in to to fulfill his mission on earth through bringing about healing. We read in Matthew 11 that John the Baptist was in prison during this time, this exchange between John's disciples and Jesus. And according to David Guzik, John probably became discouraged and began to wonder if Jesus was really the Messiah he had proclaimed to be. Other passages have indicated, though, that before this, John clearly recognized Jesus to be the Messiah. So in this, we see his doubt in this passage, um, and it may be explained because perhaps he himself had misunderstood the ministry of the Messiah. Perhaps he thought that if Jesus were really the Messiah, he would perform works connected with a political deliverance of Israel or at the least delivering John from prison. However, instead, Jesus speaks of healing and renewal. Jesus wanted to assure both John and his disciples that he was the Messiah, but he also reminded him, reminded them that his power would not be displayed, um, I'm sorry, would be displayed in mostly acts of humble service, in meeting individual needs, and not in spectacular displays of political deliverance. In this way, and in many ways, God specializes in the unlikely and the unexpected. Send the Savior of the world in a weak and humble, dependent form of a baby. Unexpected. Live in anonymity for 30 years. Unlikely for a Messiah. John's question is speaking to even his own doubts and the unlikeliness that he sees. Guzik suggests that... um, It's as if John is asking Jesus, why aren't you doing more? And Morgan interprets the answer to be this. To all such restless impatience, he utters the same warning. For the most part, the way of the Lord's service is the way of plotting perseverance in the doing of apparently small things. The history of the church shows that this is one of the lessons most difficult to learn. We often expect God to be and do things in in our timing the way we would, with little to no discomfort and in generally black and white kind of cut and dry terms. That's how we do things. When actually Jesus created a lot of, of gray area for the Pharisees and sometimes his own disciples. He took what they thought they knew by the laws of this world and turned it upside down. Ann Voskamp says, If we are a Jesus user, we want him to change our world. If we are a Jesus adorer, our hearts are changed by his beauty, and we help change the world. Jesus wasn't some politically dominant hero. He unexpectedly brought change through intentional discipling relationships, through humble service, and through restoration and reconciliation. Jesus made people see clearly He helped them hear, he restored motion and vitality in the lame, and he seemingly broke laws of nature and even rose the dead. 
open eyes and ears, movement and new life, unveiled and prove who Jesus is to John and to us. In verse 6 of this passage, Jesus acknowledges the gap between our ways and his. He says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus knew that the focus of his ministry was offensive to the expectation of the Jewish people, who longed for political deliverance from Rome, from Roman domination. But there was a blessing for those who were not offended because of the Messiah who came against the expectation of the people. This is profound. How often are we offended by people that don't dress, talk, or act the way that we think they should? And how dare we, really, and I'm talking to myself too, being offended and closing our ears and minds to others because they don't fit our mold? That is not life-giving. That's not proving Jesus. Not when Jesus came to heal and give sight. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus charges the people and us today with this. Matthew 5, 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the same measure you use, and it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Meyer has turned this idea and Jesus' words in verse 6 into another beatitude. Blessed are the unoffended. Now, getting back into the passage uh, in verse 7, some might put John in, in a bad light because of his seeming doubts regarding Jesus. But Jesus himself spoke highly of John in this passage. John was steady. He wasn't shaken easily like a reed. He lived a disciplined life, not in love with the luxuries and, and comforts of this world. He was in the wilderness. John was a servant, a prophet of God. And John was sent. He recognized his mission as being sent. He was a special messenger of the Lord. John was special in that he could be considered the greatest. But at the end of verse 11, this changes everything. John was second to even the least in the kingdom. John was second, and we are second. Johnny Erickson Tata, um, artist, writer, and musician, experienced a much devastation after a diving accident, um, which led to paralysis from the shoulders down. Along her journey, she also experienced the unexpected and the inside-out ways of God. She wrote this, Just when we least expect it, he intrudes into our neat and tidy notions about who he is and how he works. And it's kind of like these lyrics by Natalie Grant uh, that say, I tried to fit you into the walls inside my mind, talking about God. I try to keep you safely in between the lines. 
I try to put you in the box that I've designed. I try to pull you down so we're eye to eye. When did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? I try to take life back right out of the hands of the king of the world. How could I make you so small when you're the one who holds it all? When did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? And how true. He was the king of the world back when Isaiah originally wrote what Jesus later referred back to in this passage. He was the king of the world when he was born, even though tiny and weak and totally dependent. He was the king of the world when John questioned him about it. And he's still the king of the world who brings healing and restoration. Listen to these words in Isaiah. Isaiah 35, 3. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your, Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. Guzik reflects on this, that when God's salvation comes, miraculous provision comes with it. It's unexpected. What was dry and useless before becomes well-watered and fruitful. Now, I want to share something that happened this week as I was uh, preparing this message. I did a search for the word healing um, in Bible Gateway's search engine. Anyone could do it. The first passage that I showed, that showed as a result for the search for healing was in 2 Kings 2, and we're, I'm going to read that. The people of the city said to Elisha, look. Our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt, salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So I I found this, and I was sensing a contrast between what I read in Isaiah about the water gushing forth and and bringing life, and then what I read in 2 Kings. Verse 19 stood out the most, and I wondered um, if this is actually a better reflection of us sometimes, that we may appear to be well-situated, but are actually stagnant and unproductive. And coincidentally, I learned from Pastor Jeff the reason um, East Petersburg incorporated as a town. He, he pointed me to the East Petersburg uh, borough website, and this is on there. The reason East Petersburg first incorporated as a town was because the water was making people sick. They needed to incorporate to become part of the city water system. And this is what's on the site. In the late 1940s, East Petersburg had an epidemic of typhoid fever. Two local physicians, Dr. Miller and Dr. Lockie, called for the water to be tested. State health authorities found it was contaminated because the wells were too close to sewage sources. East Petersburg needed to obtain a new water source. 
In other words, the water needed to be healed. And try to track with me here. In 2 Kings, Elisha heals the water by throwing salt into it. This reminded me of another portion of the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus talks about salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, he says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. East Petersburg Mennonite Church has been called the Church on the Hill. So this applies to us as well. I believe we are in need of healing. We need to be made salty again. We need to remember we are called to be the light of the world. And we are well situated. But how is our water doing? Is it bearing fruit? So my final words of encouragement and challenge are this uh, from James 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And the takeaways that I have from this morning are just questions for your reflection um, that you can take and, and sit with God with these. And, and if you're willing, share them uh, with someone else too. And let's see how, how God moves. In closing, I invite the, the worship team forward. We're going to sing the song Healing Rain again that we sang earlier in this time of, of responding. And I invite you to ponder these questions. Talk with God. You can sit or stand however you feel comfortable. I will not be um, dismissing you again. So after this song, if you... Um, need to leave, I just encourage you to continue conversations in, in the lobby um, so we can just continue in this space if, if those desire. And you can come forward um, if you would like prayer. We uh, There will be some people forward as well. Um, you can kneel, sit, stand. Um, let's just listen and, and press into to God's heart. Um, yeah, I'll leave you with this. Look, our town is well situated, but the water is bad and unproductive. You are the salt of the earth. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come.